0: Hello and welcome to episode 141. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am really excited to have Debbie Augenthaler, the author of You Are Not Alone, joining me for an interview. She is a psychotherapist that specializes in grief, loss, and trauma. And we have an amazing conversation about what it means to lose someone very close to you, and how you can cope and come back from some of the really difficult things that life may throw your way. Debbie is a real delight to have on the show, and I know you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get to that, I want to say welcome, welcome, welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. We are a weekly podcast that comes out on Tuesday mornings, And the focus of the show is really to look at that moment when people are met with something difficult in their lives, and they, in some way, they choose joy. They choose something bigger than themselves, and they go for it. And so it's really exciting when I get to speak to people who have been through that moment and want to share it, because it is my hope that in sharing those moments, we will touch the lives and the hearts of someone who maybe needs a little reminder of how to jumpstart their own joy. If you like what you hear and you want to subscribe to this podcast, of course, Jumpstart Your Joy is on all the major podcasting apps. You can search for it on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify. Of course, it means a ton to me if you subscribe and leave a comment. It's so wonderful to hear from you guys each time that you do. I write show notes for each and every episode, which will give you a little bit more information about the guest and where to find information about Debbie's book. And you can find it at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E. And that's where you'll find all the information and a little bit more detail around this conversation. Also, while you're over on the site, you can find my Joy Plus You course, which is a really fun introductory class that's free, and it walks you through how to find more joy in your day-to-day. It's a lot of fun. There's a picture of a puppy on the homepage, and you can find it right there. <laughs> so I think you're really going to love this conversation with Debbie Augenthaler. She's really an amazing person. She lost her husband Jim rather unexpectedly as a fairly young woman and then was met with the ongoing grief and grieving process. And of course, as so many people who find some sort of grief in their life, she found that there was so much more to the experience than maybe the very simplistic phases of grief and that there wasn't a lot of books that had been written about the day-to-day and like the small moments that you really experience in a new way when you've lost someone so close to you. So, She has written this amazing book, You Are Not Alone, and it's both a beautiful, sweeping book about grief itself and her personal story with it, and she leaves some beautiful notes for you as the reader as you go through the different stages and moments. So let's get on to this amazing conversation with Debbie Augenthaler. Today, you guys, I'm so excited to have Debbie Augenthaler on. She is the author of You Are Not Alone. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Debbie. Thank you so much, Paula.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Delighted.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. Would you like to tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy?
1: You know, I I was uh, my dad was a marine, and we try we were you know stationed every couple of years. New, we had to move a lot, and I and I say that only because like you know you had to make new friends every couple of years and that kind of a thing. And I found. Books like at an early age, I started reading really early. My parents read to me, and and I the thrill of opening up a book and and like entering a whole new world of discovery or reading about you know I loved biographies. I loved anything that took me like someplace new and different because you know when you first move to a new place as a child, it can be hard at first. And I mean, I mm-hmm. got very good at making friends, and I enjoyed it and. I, it was a, a great way to, to learn how to connect, you know, as, I, as I'm a therapist now, like you're mm-hmm. connecting with people and things like that. But it was, I think that there was a joy just – I remember, I was thinking about it, and I just remembered, like, going to the library, and I actually wrote a post about it last year on my um, one of my blogs about books and, and, and how important they were to me as a child and the, the, how it opened up the world for me. So I would mm-hmm. say that, and then I, I purely just delight – type of moment, body surfing waves that I thought at the time were enormous, but maybe they were like two feet high, you know, my parent woman, <laughs> but like, just like floating on the water and rushing mm-hmm. and being brought up by the wave to the, to the sand. So I, mm-hmm. I would say those two things are, they're different, but you know, both very joyful.
0: Mm, yes. Oh yes. Body surfing is <laughs> a lot
1: of fun. <laughs> it is. As an adult, I still enjoy it. It still brings me
0: <laughs> so good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I can relate to that moving a bunch. My dad was not, well, the funny thing is I was born at the Air Force Academy, but then (laughs) we moved Ah. because my dad went to retail. Anyway, we moved a lot. And that thing of like getting into a new school and making new Mm -hmm. friends, I think it's an interesting skill set as a connector. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, chicken and egg, I don't know what came first there, but... (laughs) certainly sets you up.
1: It certainly <laughs> does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So now you are a psychotherapist who specializes in trauma, loss, and grief. Mm-hmm. And would you tell us how you got into into that? I mean, it seems like the journey there is probably a very interesting one. Well, it is
1: an interesting one and it's probably I could tell I, I will tell the short version obviously mm-hmm. for the podcast but I I always had an interest in in psychology and what makes people tick and and who they are, you know, what 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 drives people and and because I think as we talked about, you know, in my childhood just meeting so many different types of people in different areas of the country and the cultural aspects of all that. But I, I fell into the financial industry almost by accident as, a, as right out of high school. I didn't have the alternate, I didn't have the traditional route. I didn't go right to college after high school. I, I, I worked and then I ended up going to college later on in my 20s and got my undergrad and minored in psychology. So I always had that, that interest in the background. And I had, you know, my book is about, you know, my husband died suddenly when I was in my mid thirties and unexpectedly, and I was with him and it was hugely traumatic and obviously, and I had a a therapist who was just so wonderful and so instrumental in helping me understand, not, I don't even know if understand is the right word, but just just holding that space for me and, and helping me through this really difficult time. And then but that, so that, and I was still seeing her and then nine eleven happened and I was working in the financial industry and I knew a lot of people who died that day. And I was one of the few people that in a certain age group, you know, I was still quite young and that had had something happen, like a sudden loss of a loved one. And so I found that it was, I could be I could be with people who were going through something just utterly unimaginably horrible. And I i was in shock and, and, and obviously grieving too, but I wasn't afraid of their grief. I wasn't afraid to be with them. I wasn't afraid to hold their hand and look them in the eye and hug them. And a lot of people are afraid of grief. We live like in a grief phobic society, I think. <laughs> and so just that, and, and even though it took a couple, you know, a few more years before I, I, left the financial industry and became a therapist that really as i write in my book that that those two experiences really caused me to to take a big step back and really reassess and, and find the courage to to leave something that was you know safe and known and take that plunge into going back to school i had to go to grad school and then mm-hmm. work at, you know get my license and, and do all the training and just really turn everything around just so i could become a therapist because in the end, I, I wanted to help people like my therapist had helped me. I, if it's even just one person, I thought if I can help one person go, come from grief to gratitude, mm-hmm. grief to joy, like then I will have accompl- You, know, I will have done something wonderful. You know? <laughs> and yeah. and it brings me great joy working with people, knowing that you know I have the tools and, and ability to help help them do that. So I guess yeah, that's that's how it happened. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's so much depth and beauty in that. I mean, and and the courage, my own story, and even I say the birth of this show is from a, well, a very similar space, which is I went through trauma, a traumatic experience during the birth of my son Mm. and wanted something more. Like Mm -hmm. I knew I was, I was in that space of, of, I mean, not lost because he was, he was alive, but that traumatic experience that comes out of something and just there was something in my soul that said, this is, this is not all there is. You cannot be stuck in this space. What else is there? And I call that, that, that was like joy reaching out to me. Like I I had to mm. say yes and, mm. and had to go towards it. And so it's like that moment. And so like, I don't know, I got goosebumps when you were talking about, it's that moment that like this show is about, like, right. how do you face that thing, whatever it is for the person listening and say, okay, I'm saying yes to this wildly improbable idea that I'm getting out of this. <laughs> like, right, I'm right, going right. to, by my own strength, find my way out. And so mine also involved going to a therapist and, and then realizing there's so much more and there's such breadth on the other side and a depth of emotion that now I can feel and understand. So thank you so much for sharing that. Why- You're
1: welcome. And I just wanted to say, I love how you say that it was joy reaching out <laughs> that instead of reaching out for joy, Right. Mm-hmm. joy reached for you. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like to think of it, I'm getting goosebumps because it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, it's like that calling. It's a calling really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people call that we hear, we hear it. Oh, I was called to do this. I've been called or, you know, called a service or, or whatever that is, but, but it's joy reaching out. I love that. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's been one of those things. I sensed this in your book, which is, which is so beautiful that, some of the journey, it's so interwoven of this personal experience, but then also this greater calling or or sense of purpose that comes out of the experience that makes you say yes to, okay, now I'm not afraid to help people in that space because I've already been there and seen it. And I love the tenderness in which you approached what, the way that you speak to people. So would you explain, because obviously I've, I've read the, parts of the book and, and know it, but could you explain how you formatted your book? Because I think it's, it's interesting from a formatting perspective, but how it also layers in the pieces where you're reaching out to offer people, I mean, both solace, but help and, and right. encouragement. Right.
1: Well, what I, you know, I, I, I wrote the book because I really, I feel that, you know, I wanted to help more people than I could one-on-one in my therapy practice. And when people have a traumatic Event, as you described, it doesn't have to be the loss of someone you love any traumatic event that is a life alter that might cause a life altering loss and it can even just be a loss of quote innocence in the sense like you said you know the traumatic event around the birth of your son like you may have that may you may have never had like a really terrible event before in your life, so there's a loss mm-hmm. of that right now suddenly you have this, so it's a life altering event for you because it it caused you to really shift what your passion and focus might be in your life right so mm-hmm. i feel that none of us are born knowing how to cope when we are faced with an event like that we're just not we, we're not known, we're not born knowing how to cope with grief and you, it's something you have that has to be learned and so in my therapy practice when people would come and and also not just with my clients but with you know friends and family that have gone through losses you know, I became that person people turn to because I was, because <laughs> I, who else, who else will I guess Debbie would know because she's been through this, you know, my, like I said, my husband dying suddenly and, at, at, mm-hmm. and unexpectedly, and he was healthy. And mm-hmm. so I feel that when I was in in the room with somebody, so to speak. And I normalize the feeling because many people feel like they're all alone in their experience because they mm-hmm. don't know what it feels like. They feel like no one's, does anyone else, has, it, has anyone else felt this way? They might feel like they're going crazy. And when I can just you know say, no, what, what, what's happening to you is a natural response to a tremendous shock. It's mm-hmm. natural to feel this way. And when I, I can just sense the energy shift in someone, you can see this like like a, a relaxing of the muscles in their, their body and in their face and like this tiny, even though they may not know it at that minute, but this tiny moment of hope, like, really, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. You mean this is okay? Mm-hmm. And I feel with the book, so by sharing my story, what I've done is I took universal kinds of experiences in grieving that many people... Or may not, many people have experienced their similar kinds of experiences. We're all different and we all experience grief differently. You know, we we grieve uniquely in our own way, but Mm -hmm. we might share these common experiences. And they're not the quote stages or phases, but they count, they are in there too. Because the grief is not linear and there's no timetable and no rule book for it. So I thought of times, you know, in my own grieving journey, like things that happened to me that I heard over and over in different ways from other people. And it really helps people to hear of others, others' stories and how they coped, how they grieved. And I wanted to show the reader that I get it. Like I've really been there. And so I really went back. And as you know, since you've read the book, like each, each chapter shares a piece of some, shares a piece of my story, my own personal story what it was like internally for me, my own experience with also the next part. like So there's a, the story part, my personal story. And then as if I was talking to you. I don't write clinically. I don't write Mm -hmm. densely. I don't write, you know, anything like that, as you know, it's like, I'm talking to you and I'm doing it on purpose because especially in the beginning, we can't focus and it's hard to concentrate. And I know I didn't want to read a book that was dense. I didn't, I I couldn't find very many books, frankly, because it was 20 years ago and now there's a lot more, but I think what differentiates mine is that I have the story. And then as, as from a therapeutic perspective, I'm talking to you, like, as as a, I, I like to say, like, a gentle guide, but maybe things that I would say to a client, like, and, and just in the process, kind of, it's a, I hate the, I hate the word normalizing, but, you know, <laughs> making the experience, like, this is what's happening to you, and this is, mm. this is okay, or yes, if someone said this, or did that, or this happened, that's a natural thing, too, don't be, you know, and, I, and so I try to offer a way to kind of Help guide somebody through what they're going. And then I have a third part to each chapter that's very short and simple called For You. And again, there are things that I would offer to clients or or anybody that asks me, but it's it's little tiny things that can make a big difference. Like just, just mm-hmm. remembering to breathe. Be mm-hmm. kind to yourself. Be gentle. You know, and and I talk about other experiences, the what ifs and if onlys, and, and as, as you know, if you read it, I get a little bit more into like if at this particular point in time, this might be happening for you, and if it is, here's something you can do to help. So mm-hmm. that's why I formatted it the way that I did, because again, I wanted to. I want this book to help many more people than
0: I can on my own, one to one in my practice. So, yeah. yeah, and I really, I mean, reading it, I've not gone through a, a loss. <laughs> recently mm-hmm. in any way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I really appreciated that you provided that very comforting, and, and I mean, there was something very familiar about it, as opposed to so often, I, you know, when you read a book about grief, and it, like you said, it's the stages, and the mm-hmm. it feels very dry, and when you're in a space where probably the thing you want most is just a connection, and to be told you're not alone, precisely right. what your book is doing, like, no, no. Some of that's just too clinical and academic, and mm-hmm. that's not where you're mm-hmm. at. So mm-hmm. yes. I really appreciated that aspect. Of that. Well, I'm so
1: I'm so glad, and thank you for saying that. I mean, I remember there was a book that somebody gave me, and I literally I think I threw it across the room. I was just like, <laughs> I don't want this. Like nothing doesn't anybody. I wanted something that you know that could witness and validate. Like I I, I wanted to somebody that knew it that I like what this is, what's happening to me. And I wanted to read somebody else that could say, this is what's happening to you because it happened to me, you know, and, and, and uh, it was really important. So I feel like that it's just, it's just really helpful. So essentially, you know, I, I, like, I couldn't find a book to speak to the part of me that needed to know someone else had felt this way and had survived. Right. Mm. And was, and the book shows you, like, I, I, I share my own The own transformation that happened for me in my life, my own spiritual transformation, all that. Because and it happens for everyone in their own way, right? And and Mm you, you, many people, many many people have grown a lot when they've had a great loss. And and I'm not saying this is how you do it or what you have to do. I'm just saying this is can happen because it happened Mm -hmm. for me. And so the the arc of the book goes from the shock of the first moment, but you know ultimately. It's. I'm very happy again, and I never. I didn't think that was ever going to be possible when it first happened. I thought I would never ever feel happy, and I have a life filled with joy. So, Mm -hmm. again, when you when you invited me on the show, it's like, oh, I really like. (laughs) I like talking about joy because you know there is that arc. So
0: there truly is. Well, and it's interesting because I think. Well, I mean, one thing is a couple of books. In case somebody is sitting listening with us, and they're like, oh. Another person that's been on even just recently is Julia Samuel, and she wrote mm-hmm. Grief Works. Mm-hmm. And that's another one, not quite the same as a personal journey, but it is, there's several stories about people she's worked with, and it's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, have you read Lament for a Son by Nicholas Wol- Wolterstorff?
1: I have not. Lament oh. for a Son? It sounds yes. okay. He's, I'm going to um- write that down. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and for anyone listening, he is he's a professor at Yale Divinity School and so his lens is somewhat of a Christian. I mean, he's, you know, he's a mm-hmm. professor in at a divinity school, but mm-hmm. he lost his son in a climbing accident. Mm. And so the processing then of losing a child and mm. and it's a very spiritual journey that he talks mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that I like you guys all feel like <laughs> beautiful similar things of like I don't know ways of looking at grief that are beautiful. But I mean, the
1: interest, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, when, when somebody, I mean, uh, gosh, losing a child, I just, I, I, that's a terrible, terrible, you know, you can't even, it's a terrible, terrible loss. But I think, you know, when you lose somebody that you love, we all seek to make meaning. You need to make Mm. meaning of it. Like why, how, how come, why, you know, there's all those questions at the beginning. But so you, you do seek to make meaning because finding meaning and doing something like I write about in the book, doing something because you've had this loss that can in, in the end be good in the world because you want to make meaning and you want to honor that person and you want to honor the love you have and you that still lives in your heart that still is there. And mm-hmm. you want to do something. You you want to make their lives matter, but you want their life and their, and their death to mean something. And, and, i think it's a, it's a very natural basic instinct that we all have that we search to make meaning like you know the kids the the teenagers in parkland with what's happening there in mm-hmm. this whole movement that they've started because and it, it, i'm not saying it happens usually immediately like it has with them but it's certainly giving them some kind of way to comprehend and make some kind of meaning out of what happened in a good way in the world and mm-hmm. That's to me, an ultimate expression of of joy in the sense that you are i mean that in the sense that you can take something so terrible and make some really positive, impactful, good change in the world
0: mm, yes, yeah, and it's interesting that kind of grief and joy are often bookends for each mm-hmm. other. I mean, that yeah. and the distance between those two bookends could be very close or very far. That's right. But yeah, then it it often when you dig in either in the searching for meaning or I don't know, in the way that joy just almost demands to be heard.
1: <laughs> like but, you, it know, just comes you know, one of my favorite quotes Queen Elizabeth said, "Grief is the price we pay for love." Mm. So, you know, you celebrate the love. I mean, we are, you know, we, we grieve and you will, there's always a place that will carry the grief. I mean, people, some people say no, but for, for most people I know, there's always a part of you that will carry that grief and that's okay. Uh, it's really okay. It's like, it's not like it rules your life, but you know, in the end, aren't we grateful for the love that we did have for the experience of knowing, you know, this person or just that kind that idea. And so there can be, you know, that that it is the price we pay for love because ultimately most of us will lose someone we love, but Mm. we're still going to be very grateful for them and joyful about the love we shared. And, you know, you would, you would rather have it than not. Right. So I I understand that. Yeah. Grief and love are just this, it is an arc, but they go hand in hand, don't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I I was, I don't even know why this one's hitting me right now, but I was watching Lord of the Rings with my son and my, my husband. And there's this moment where the elf, I'm not going to come up with the names right now, but <laughs> the elf has fallen in love with the human, right? Mm-hmm. And the elf is, you know, she will live forever unless, you know, she has the potential. And her her father, I guess, says to her, like, he will die he will die either by the sword or by time. He will die and you will lose him. Mm-hmm. And it's this I, I like hit me right in the gut because I'm like, you know, what does she do? What is her just, dis- and she can't help but fall in love, right? She can't f- help right. but follow the joy of it, knowing right. that somewhere along the line that ultimately the story will be that he will he will leave her. Mm-hmm. Not of his mm-hmm. choice. But right. <laughs> so right. it was just right. an interesting thing that you're saying. Like that grief is the price we pay for love. I mean, it was already built in right there for her and Mm -hmm. I don't know (laughs) where that's going but no um. but see
1: I mean it's it's threaded it's it's threaded and and so all the stories since the beginning of time right I mean really Mm -hmm. when you look at it and I mean if you look for it you can find it I mean that's what I mean I say thread you follow the thread right but Mm -hmm. but it's it's it is almost every uh every story so to speak has you know like the hero's journey right where you start out and and things happen, and you go down into the you know the darkness, so to speak, because everything or the, you know the phoenix rising, whatever. But but the hero's journey is essentially that, and then you you rise up, and you've learned lessons, and you go from being victim to victor, right? And so I, I think it, that's an arc of a book or a story for many people, right? And yeah, it's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I loved kind of getting back to some of that encouragement and the healing that you mm-hmm. explain and follow through the book. And there was the section about the cinnamon toast that mm-hmm. just stood out for me. Would you explain that that moment and kind of what it meant to you and and what the meaning of the cinnamon toast was?
1: Uh, you uh, when I couldn't uh, eat because yes. like, Well, mm-hmm. you know, you're when you go through any kind of big shock and for me, you know, it was my husband's death. when you, your body goes into survival mode, it's, a, it's a, an innate instinct. It's the survival mode. You have no control over it. However, it, your body perceives danger when something happens as a shock like that, like your heart races and you can't, you know, it, all this stuff, the stuff, the, the digestion shuts down, your mouth goes dry, you can't eat, all that stuff that happens, right? And, and, and that panicky, that panic feeling, that's your body preparing for fight flight or freeze because your body, like, again, your brain, it's very, it's brilliant. Your body, you can shut down, you know, your body's so brilliant. It knows what to do. And, and, uh, it's preparing you for a fight only in this instance, though, you're in a fight just to survive something that at the time feels like you cannot, you know, you're warded. You just can't do it. So for me, I found it very, very difficult to eat i mean i i was my i just couldn't i could barely swallow and mm-hmm. i wasn't trained then to understand i always i wouldn't have been able to think it anyways but you know i, I didn't know that that's what was happening but all i know is i had to force myself to eat anything and so i and everybody's worried and i was losing weight and i'm like i'm trying look i'm trying and i think you know i write i, I know i, I put it in there like at, at, you know i'd gone back to work by then and they would order me a turkey on whole wheat, and I would put a piece of turkey. Like everyone's looking, like, "Oh, thank you, I'm trying to eat," you know. And mm-hmm. and but then one one night I went home and I just I just made myself for some reason cinnamon toast. It just sounded right, and it I just toasted it dark, and I put lots of butter and sugar and cinnamon, and it I, I really couldn't tasted as much as it was the smell and it smelled so comforting. And so it's that craving for some kind of comfort. And so for me, it was just became this ritual where I would, you know, I would make cinnamon toast almost every night that I, and I would, that's what I would eat. And it took me a while to eat it, but I made myself eat it. And it just, uh, you know, I knew I had to eat, but I, I felt there's that smell, the comfort of it all. And I think, and that's why in that chapter, I'm like, find whatever it is that comforts you, you know, Mm -hmm. and it could be, it could be a soft blanket, it could be a warm bath, it could be cinnamon toast. I mean, I also ate marshmallow fluff with a spoon from the jar, because Mm -hmm. I, you know, anything, because it was easy to swallow, you know, and it was just that kind of thing that was happening. So I think it's that... I always want anybody to know who's in that at that point that like it's okay and and for some people, maybe all they want to do is eat, you know, and they might want to just eat ice cream and, and that's okay too it's however you end up in the end. Just listen to your body and nothing's wrong with you, and don't let people tell you how you should or shouldn't be you know what brings you comfort, what feels right for you and so I, I just uh that was one thing that just stood out for me, and I thought that I remembered that particular story for me and thought it would be a good one to share because I know it happens for a lot of people. I can't eat, you know, or I, I just want something, you know, that what one little thing that can help you feel a little bit of comfort.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I really appreciated kind of that somatic touch point of like, I don't know, there's something so sweet and nourishing about the reminder of checking in and allowing yourself some small comfort because everything mm-hmm. else I mean, at least in my own experience, felt hard. And Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah,
0: like people were expecting me to be one way or another Mm. or whatever. And so maybe I'd follow some of those suggestions also not having yet. I've also since been certified as a life coach, so I didn't Mm -hmm. know the cues either. But now I get it. Like sometimes, no, I just need to sit down and feel some comfort. And so it's like that really. Right. I don't know. And, right. And maybe it's also cinnamon toast is a lovely uh, like childhood memory for me. I, I loved it. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. Yeah. But like, right? I, I mean, don't know.
1: Comfort. It smells like a hug. to <laughs> me. You know, it's <laughs> it totally like does. a hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, and I also, I, I, there are other things, you know, like I said, the warm bath or, and, you know, and I wore one of Jim's t-shirts like every night. And it wasn't like a sad, like oh, it, it felt good to wear something that he had. It felt good to me, that was comforting to me. And I felt at the time I was embarrassed, probably, to tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to think I was like, oh, she's sleeping one of his teeth. You know that 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 fear of judgment, which I really, really want to stress. Like everybody, you know, whatever you do that feels right for you is okay. And I have since learned that many people will do, you know, sleep in someone's t-shirt or do with that. But I, you know, again, I didn't know because no one told me and you don't grow up learning how to do this. So I feel mm-hmm. it's important to, to whatever, if anybody is listening to this, like whatever helps you feel connected, whatever helps you. And, and yeah, listen to your body, you know, and if, if you need to lay down and rest, do that. If, if you have kids, like let people help you. And let people babysit for you and take try to find some private time for just where you can just take care of you. It's
0: mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. And I think it is hard because like you said earlier, it's, we're in a society that kind of either doesn't talk about mm-hmm. grief or loss very much. And we don't, we don't have any sort of what ability. We don't have a lot of experience with how to handle it or what it should look like. And, and like you've said, like there's no specific should anyway, but, but in there somewhere, we kind of are also afraid of grief and loss Mm -hmm. in a way. And so as a society, we don't, it's hard, it's hard to be grieving in this, in this society right now. So.
1: uh, Oh, Paula, I can't agree with you more. This is like one of my (laughs) big talking points. I'm not kidding. It's like another reason I wrote the book is because I feel so strongly that, we need to be able to have conversations about grief. It's okay mm-hmm. to be a griever. It's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay. There's a lot going on in the world, the whole world, all over, right? But we mm-hmm. know without having to say, you see the headlines of everything that's happening, not just you know on a national level, but like all the, the natural disasters and everything like that that's happening. And, and it, it's just, there are a lot of people grieving because you think of one one thing that's happened—the ripple effect. How many people are affected by one headline that you see, like, that you may not be close to, but you—you, you, there are people grieving, and we live in a in this society that doesn't want to see it. And I—and there's a, a whole section on my book where it's like it's not about you, it's about them. And people mm-hmm. will avoid at times avoid you or avoid the grief because. You know they'll, they'll often do or say inappropriate or hurtful things because they don't know what is what to say and they're uncomfortable with grief because mm-hmm. it's something we you know look we we live in a state of denial. I mean at, you know Paula as a coach you know that that's like. If you don't, you know, if we didn't, it's a defense. It's a good defense to have in the sense that we would nobody be able to walk outside their house every day if we didn't have some sort of denial going on, right? (laughs) Yeah. But as a, as a, you know, as a therapist, I mean, I know a lot of people have, you know, death anxiety and a fear of death, and and so you just shut it down, you just deny it, and that's really one of you know that happens. That's that's it's a natural thing and it's okay, but. I feel that, you know, like uh, over a hundred years ago, people lived and died in the home and it was mm-hmm. something that happened and, and you grew up and you saw it and you knew it. And, and now it's not that way. I mean, there's been wonderful advances in medicine, but now people like kind of leave and they go somewhere and, and so you don't grow up knowing about it. But again, it's this avoidance of talking about it because I have a chapter in my book where I write about somebody who was a friend of ours who avoided me and it was so hurtful at the time, but I've come to understand it's because then, because you, you represent me. I it's like grief is like a disease that people are afraid they're going to catch, you know, Mm -hmm. and by seeing me reminded them of Jem dying and it makes you face your own mortality. And so people don't want to do that either. And I'm not saying I need to live every day, thinking, oh, I'm going to die, but, but we are all going to die. And so you want to enjoy every moment. You want every moment to be as joyful as possible because that you just don't know when you know when that's going to happen. But I just wish there was a way to, to, to make it okay to be a griever and for us to be able to ha- talk about it and have it be mm-hmm. all right because I know I felt like I had to be stoic and I had to be strong. And it was really hard. It was exhausting you know, because mm-hmm. you would go out and put on this face for the world When inside you're, you know, you feel like you, I felt like I was, and I write about this too. I felt like I was failing an unwritten societal rule book Mm -hmm. on how to be, on how you should be grieving. Cause, and people will be like, aren't you feeling better yet? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) You know, how do you answer that? Like, yeah. there, am I supposed to be? You know, is it, so it's been six months. So I'm supposed to be okay now. No one told me that, you know.
0: Right. So, and, and my heart's not saying that. So No, oh.
1: exactly, exactly. So what I'm trying to do with this book is just say, this is what it's like. And it's okay. Grief is not linear. There's no rule book or timetable. And it's also for people who want to help people who are grieving. Like you said, you've read it. You, it, it, But now I, I hope it gave you some maybe interesting things to think about or things to do if, if somebody you love needs it, you mm-hmm. you might have, you know, better understanding and, and some ways to help.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it surely does. And I think it's interesting because I mentioned this in a, in a previous episode, actually, when I was talking to Julia Samuel was like early on when I, cause I went to divinity school. That's how I ran into Nicholas Wolterstorff. But mm. one of the things that I have been fascinated with for years is what do you say when someone says they've lost someone, you know, someone right. near them has died? Because it always felt like such a difficult thing to have said. Someone else has said that. And then mm-hmm. what do you what do you as the recipient of such news say that's not dismissive or, you know, running from news or like. And, and so, yes, I think like there's something about this discussion of how do we deal with grieving and death that has been fascinating to me for a long time, which of course might seem weird for somebody who loves joy, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's like, I want, you know, cause I want everyone to be as happy as they can, right. but that means dealing with the other side of that. And so That's how do right. we embrace people or let them be or whatever it is it, once we know they've lost someone and not be afraid of the loss?
1: Well, if you, if you don't know what to say, I mean, clearly if it's somebody that, you know, and you knew the person who's passed, like you can, it's there, you'll kind of know more because I'm so sorry. Right. But Mm -hmm. people say that, then that really is enough because if you don't know what else to say, if you're fumbling for words, like if you go to a wake or a service or something and you know, you go to the person and a hug, I'm sorry that, and that's, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. it's it, that's all you know. But if you knew the person, you can say, "Oh my God, he was such a great person." All right, really, what she did one time, like you can share a story. But mm-hmm. let like because people, when someone you love dies, like they still live on, yes. in you always and you want to be able to talk about them and not act like, okay, now that they're dead, we can't ever talk about them again. But in the very beginning, a simple "I'm sorry" is fine. Don't feel the need to fill in unless it's something that's you know genuinely sympathetic, like "I am so sorry." What can I do? There's, I'm going to, I want you to know, I'm going to be calling you in a couple, you know, I'll come back in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, somebody, if it's somebody you don't know that well, but you're going to receiving line, but try to support people, like offer help. But mm-hmm. we're going to go back to answer your question though, at, at the, What do you say? I'm sorry. What a terrible thing. You know, something like that. And it, just acknowledge it. Don't not acknowledge it, but, or, do, or don't try to say something to fill in space that feels awkward. Because the grieving person can be just overwhelmed, obviously, or in shock, and and will really appreciate your saying, I'm sorry. Because what more can you do, really? You can't do anything with words at that moment. But I really Mm -hmm. feel that trying to fill it in, I mean, for an example, at one of my husband's wakes, because there were four, because he was young, like I said, there was a, a lot of people that came, but somebody said to me, you know... You're really young. You're going to meet somebody and get married again at, the, at his wake. And I was like, mm-hmm. "What?" Yeah. <laughs> you know. And 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 it wasn't meant to hurt me, but it was meant to try to comfort me. But it was it didn't comfort me. It was the wrong thing to say, you know. But but yeah. It, and so that's why people get fl- flustered. And what do I say? What do I not say? So I feel that you know, if you don't, if you're feeling uncomfortable with what to say, just say, "I'm so sorry." And then the next thing you do. Is more than what can I do? Call if your friends, if if you know them well enough to call or email or whatever, and say I'm I'm going to the store. Can I pick you up something, or just show up their show up at their house, which you know people Mm -hmm. often do with food and stuff like that. But you know you can bring like paper products. Like things that people don't even think about, just pick up like things you might need every day. If the people have kids, offer to take the kids to give them some time and don't stop offering support in the first couple of weeks. Like lots of times people will say, no, I'm fine, I don't need anything. Well, they don't know what they need in the first few weeks. They don't know. And if it's been two months, call them still. How are you today? What can I do for you today? And just because someone has said no once, doesn't mean it's an always no it means it's a no in the first few days right but we i, I can in those first few days are overwhelmed but you want to know even if you want private time to be alone you still want to know people who are there that care about you and support you and you can just even say i'm thinking of you you don't have to say how are you you can say i'm thinking of you today that's you know and that's that's a nice thing to do and yeah. i would say to anybody send a card you can send an email too but a card or a note that if you have a memory like, that you want to share, mm-hmm. the person that's passed is so meaningful. People love that. It offers a lot of comfort because mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, you may have had an exchange with the memory, a special something. He was so funny when he did this or one day he did something so nice for me. And I mean, I read them. I read these things over and over and the person that sent it didn't know that, but it offered me a lot of comfort. And I know what, working with people that I have, that's very meaningful. So, yeah, and yeah, listen, I, and listen. <laughs> that's the other
0: thing yeah, I to say. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. 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 I saw a really, so one of our, you know, a friend, I think she was mid forties, passed away suddenly. And mm. in the age of Facebook, it just happened very organically that people started posting to her page, mm-hmm. all these beautiful memories because mm-hmm. she was, you know, really well loved. She's a DJ in the area. So she knew a lot of people. And so it was really beautiful to see mm. people putting in these tiny memories. You know, we'd worked with her, we had like a great memory at a club with her or like Right, right. But and then her husband's on the page and can see it too and it was just like I, I don't it was like a living memorial and I'm yeah. sure you get the sense that all of us were somewhat comforted by this wider picture of Stephanie mm-hmm. that like we wouldn't have all known just from the one bit of her we knew, but that right. in a wider sense she had impacted all these people. I mean it kinda of makes me choke up just thinking about it because it yeah. was so lovely. So I think however you can help if you've if somebody's lost somebody, yeah like to help fill in those gaps. 'Cause that's right it's beautiful. And it was so a, neat to see it It's
1: beautiful. What a beautiful tribute to her. And and I see that happen more and more now on Facebook. And I, if that's the way it happened, I think it's, if, if people can add to that, it's beautiful because her family will read that, right? It, and, and it offers a lot of comfort because people want to know like, oh, you saw, like I, of course I thought she was special, right? I, I'm her husband and I loved her so much, but you look at all, look at how many other people's lives she touched, you know, and it's, it's a huge, it's like a big, huge hug from a big community of people who love someone special to him. And so I think that's beautiful. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a celebration of life, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a celebration. And so I, yeah, it's really, that's a very, I like that example a lot, Paula.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was touching to see. So, I, I, yeah I don't know if it all, it happens all the time that way, but it is And it was mm-hmm. nice well, so if people are curious about your book and where they can find out more about you where where are you and where can they pick up your your amazing book? Thank you.
1: it's on the book well I have a website and it's www.wgenzoaller dot com and that's d e b b i e a u g e n Thaler, and it's on Amazon. It's available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You are not alone. A heartfelt guide for grief, healing, and hope. And I also have a, uh, a Facebook page. It's called Grief to Gratitude, and we provide daily inspiration. And I, you know, I just I have to say this because it made me so happy. It was just so gratifying. But a, a woman posted a, a review of the book. It was only published a week ago, but she, I, I, she said I follow Debbie on Facebook, and she's helped me through some times, and you know, and I, I don't know, you know, she's a follower on the page, and I just love that that the page is helping people, you know, with the daily, they again, with kind, just like quotes and some writings on just getting through, right? But kindness, courage, hope, support, that type of a thing, and it's really grown. So I'm really happy. I'm really glad that that's reaching people. So I would like to mention that also for anybody who might want to have like a daily a daily dose of inspiration. <laughs>
0: mm, I love it. And I'll link up to those those in the show notes as well. Yeah, I've, I really enjoyed this this book. It's really it is. It's like a hug. <laughs> uh,
1: I just loved it. Thank you, Paula. Uh,
0: of course. Yeah, it's a treat. And our last couple of questions
1: mm-hmm.
0: is where are, where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you, I used to say overcome it, but how have you worked with it? Well, I think you
1: know, almost answered it at the very beginning when I talked about like, uh, like my education and, and leaving my, um, you know, doing the change from the financial world into this world and having, how was I going to go about doing it, you know, and, and, and finding the courage. And I think, you know, so there was a resistance within. Like, how do I leave the known, which is all I've ever known, to do this that I really want to do? Like, how do I make that happen? Because you can't just say, oh, I'm going to do this now. You know, it required going back to grad school and and leaving my job, and the, you know, my secure job, and, and then the years as an intern and getting my license out. I mean, it was a big, huge, you know, commitment. And so the resistance would then to overcome that fear of what if, I, and again, I, I, I use this term in the book, but the what ifs and if onlys, what if I do this? But if only I had done that, And but you know. And so I had to work. It took us several years to find my way from, from you know, to, to have a smooth transition and find my way and figure out how I was going to do it. And so I did overcome it by just having the thought that if I didn't do this, I would regret it the rest of my life. And Thoreau has, Henry Thoreau has this great quote, the Mass of Men Lead Lives of Quiet Desperation. I mean, he wrote it 150 years ago, but I thought, you know, I don't, am I going to be a quietly desperate person if I don't follow what my heart's telling me to do? You know, I, I just, it was these, so it was coming over, overcoming all of that and just deciding I really had to go for it. And so, and I, then I had to also, you know, Everybody who knew me was like "What you're gonna do what what you know how can you do that like you'll be you would be a good therapist, but my God, how are you gonna do all that and so I had to kind of just put on blinders almost and just really follow my heart listen to you know my my gut and we can call that God spirit whatever you want to but you know really following and having faith that it would work out so I feel like that was how I overcame that is i I just Yeah. I just had to talk myself into it. I I don't know how to really, how does that happen? I mean, you know, right. How how do you, you you just have to like, start saying what's, what's, what's the most important thing to me? Like, how am Mm -hmm. I going to, you know, and it it would be, I I didn't want to be at the end of my life saying, why didn't I do that? Why like have this one big regret? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there, I mean, yeah, and then it's saying yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> saying yes again to it and again,
1: saying yes. yes to it. You know, and I, I've come up like you know that the people talk about jumping into the abyss, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. thought, but and, and I thought, well, it could be free falling or it could be free flying. So I like mm-hmm. to think I jumped in and went flying, flying, not falling. And so I like to think of it like that.
0: Yeah. So I love that. And last and most joyfully, what are three ways? That you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Well, as you know, that's what I, I
1: do try to, to give that bit of hope. And I think that's always a moment of joy when you can discover hope, right? So I, but I, I start with for me, I, you know, I meditate every day. And after I do, I always have a little bit of a gratitude, just a minute or two of practice, but uh, what I'm grateful for. And that reminds me, you know, to, of, of that brings joy. To, to have a, a number of things that I'm grateful for and to, you know, have more things I'm grateful for than I have time to, you know, to, and I, I, I that, that uh, is a wonderful thing to do. I, I highly recommend that and being kind to yourself and to others. If you're kind to yourself, then you grow a, a much larger capacity to hold kindness and give it to others. And you don't know the smallest gesture of kindness to one person you don't know how many people that can impact. The ripple effect can be amazing. So just even if you smile at somebody on the street, right? And mm-hmm. I live in the New York City, and, and not many people go. You know, but I try, I you know, you, it's amazing when you see someone and you just smile, like a little smile of hello, you know, or connection, their faces brighten up. And I, I think, um, but holding the door for somebody, you know, just doing something small, if I, I, I I try to do a little something like that every day because that m- brings joy for me, and I feel for others. And I love walking through. Here we have the park, and I'm lucky enough I can be in other places at times. But being in nature, oh my gosh, when the sun's mm-hmm. shining and you know now it's spring is finally coming, and there's huge joy in those few minutes of like, oh, it just <laughs> the birds are out, the flowers are opening, and I am just ready, you know, and so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I love that thank you so much Debbie it's been such a okay. treat to get to have you on the show and uh, what a what a great conversation thank you
1: oh thank you Paula I, I thank you I'm delighted to have been invited and I really enjoyed talking to you
0: Debbie thank you so much for being on the show this week it really was a joy to have you here and I thank you so deeply for sharing your story with us here today and also in putting your very personal story in your book You Are Not Alone if you want to get more information about Debbie and her book, you can head to the show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Debbie, D E B B I E. And you'll see links to her book and her website and more information there under the resources section of the show notes. Of course, while you are there at jumpstartyourjoy.com, you can also sign up for my free Joy Plus U e course, and you will find ways to bring more joy into your everyday. Next week on the show, I am thrilled to be doing a Look Back Lessons, which is where we get to look back at a very memorable guest and interview. Next week, we will be looking at Morgan Bolender. She is a singer and songwriter, and I met her at a Daniel Laporte event and invited her to be on the podcast immediately after hearing her sing a really amazing song, called mary oliver which is about the poet morgan is amazing and her journey to finding her voice quite literally from being a special ed teacher to then becoming a singer and songwriter is really inspiring and i think you're just gonna love revisiting or hearing that interview for the first time so i hope you'll come back next week for that and until then i hope that your days are filled with so much joy